Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the Revolution's already slim playoff hopes came to an end with a one nothing home loss against Montreal. Uh, I'm Sean Donahue. Joining me today is Seth McComber of the Bent Musket. Seth, how's it going? Yeah, good. I think uh, we, we already talked all the dad stuff. Uh, so unfortunately for Andrew Wiebe, uh, we will not be talking about fatherhood on this podcast very much. But really glad to be here to talk to you um, and talk a little Revolution Soccer. Yeah, it was not a good night for the Revs, but uh, before the game, the Rebellion did hold their uh, tailgate, um, which I I heard was pretty good. We unfortunately did not get to make it to that, but let's get right into our key takeaways, which are brought to you by our friend at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Uh, Be sure to check them out on on Twitter at AnyRebellion and on their website, AnyRebellion.org. Seth, what, what was your takeaway from this one? Yeah, I think that for me, this this whole season comes down to that stat that the Revolution have dropped uh, 29 points from, from winning positions. And that's a stat that about midway through the season, I started taking uh, account of and, and making a document and adding to it. And last night, you heard Bruce Arena say in this press conference that the Revolution shot themselves in the foot. Because if they win some of those points, if they get some of those points, then they're not in these dire straits at the end of the season. And I look back at, at you know, the New York game and the Houston game and last night, and it just felt like they were in a state of desperation, that they were in a state of, we have to get three points. We're going to throw everyone forward. And that's going to uh, allow you to be susceptible on the counter. And we saw that last night, that Montreal win a, a 1-0 game on the counter. And the Revolution come out in that game really frantic, really pressing high. And, and it looked good at times, but it just felt like unless the Revolution do get that breakthrough, that Montreal was eventually going to, to score so for me, at the end of the season here, we saw a Revolution team that were really unsure of who they were. You know, they didn't really know what their style of play was. They didn't really have a consistent starting lineup. Um, and that franticness at the end of the season, like we must get points, we must get three points, plus the lack of uh, a system and a lack of a consistent starting lineup um, really doomed them. Um, and, and the Revolution are going to very likely, very, very likely miss the playoffs one year after winning a supporter shield and setting a single season points record. Yeah. And I, th- I think we can take out the very, very likely and just say they're going to miss the playoffs, but we'll get into that later. Cause we did a question about that, but I, I, I agree with you. And you've mentioned a few times on Twitter that this has kind of been the opposite of what the revolution, what happened to the revolution last year um, in which they won a lot of very close games. And you, you know, you felt confident that they were when they got a lead that they're going to hold on to it. And this year it's been, when they get a lead, you, you're kind of on the edge of your seat, expecting them to blow it because of how many games they've blown. Um, and you know, yes, there's been a lot of injuries. Yes, there's been a lot of turnover um, of key players, but it's just you know the kind of the mentality of being able to hold on to uh, a one nothing lead or a two one lead in a close game just hasn't been there this year. Where last year, you know, kind of regardless of who was on the field, you know, they, they had games last year where they heavily rotated and left a lot of their key players on the bench. Um, you know, they they weren't able to do it this year, and last year they were, no matter who was out there. So. Um, it's it's kind of crazy how how much of a contrast this season has been um, to last season to go from you know, breaking the points record to not even making the playoffs and you know essentially being eliminated with two games to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's tough. I mean, um, this Revolution side. You heard Carlos Hill after the Houston game. You know, new father Carlos Hill again. I'm, I'm sorry. I know we said we weren't going to talk about dad talk, but congratulations to Carlos Hill. 
um, he basically said, I don't know if we should be making the playoffs. You know, like we haven't been playing well. We haven't been competitive. Um, and, and that's really tough to hear from your captain, someone who has so much passion, someone who's always giving it his all. He's kind of reflecting and saying, like, the, the fight's just not there right now. Um, and I think last night what I saw in that game against Montreal is especially in the last 10, 15 minutes, I saw too many guys trying to do it by themselves. You know, at one point, Andrew Farrell picks up the ball deep and he tries to make a run forward. Uh, later on, you saw uh, Dylan Barrero take the ball and, and try to dribble into the box. And in, in that one with Dylan Barrero, Veroni is like, hey, I'm right here. He's like saying, like, look, look at me, like play me. And I thought, again, going back to that idea that there, the idea of a system and, and a style of play um, just wasn't there last night. And I think the last couple of nights, it, it just wasn't there because um, the Revolution were frantically trying to get three points. They knew they had to get three points and they kind of were, were forgetting what could make them good. Yeah, well, you mentioned the fight, and I think that was the one thing that uh, was maybe the most frustrating thing to watch in this game is, you know, that Barrero, I think that Barrero play, and you talk about um, a couple of plays where Gustavo Bo turned the ball over, there's a play where Carles Heel turned the ball over, and, you know, this is a revolution team that was kind of fighting um, for their playoff lives in this game, and everyone knew it was a must-win game, and I, it almost seemed like there was a lack of fight because these guys, when they turned the ball over, looked extremely frustrated, understandably, with how the season's gone, and you know, rather than kind of chase down to, to win the ball, which I think we saw a lot from this team in the past, including from guys like Carles Hill and Gustavo Bo, we didn't really see it in this game. It was more they kind of turned around and, and gave up, and that was um, kind of troubling to me, and maybe it was just a buildup of all the frustration and the fact that they played a lot of games in the past month, but... Um, yeah, it, it did seem like kind of a lack of fight for a team that was in a must-win game. Yeah, the body language has been interesting to, to watch throughout this season. Um, there's been a few times where I've caught, you know, Carlos Seal being the most obvious one that he's he's been upset. We've seen him punt the ball into the stands uh, before. Uh, Tommy McNamara is someone who has a few different times been angry because someone's not making a run or someone's not doing what he perceived that they needed to do. Uh, but absolutely, last night there's a clip that I, I put out there um, where you saw that uh, Bo just plays a, a pretty poor ball, in my opinion, and then turns around and kind of throws his hand up. Um, and, and, you know, his, there's frustration there. Uh, last game, I believe, that was the last game where we saw the um, Andrew Farrell make that long run forward and yell at Wilford Captoon. So there's, there's a lot of um, emotion that's happening right now, a lot of uh, negative body language that's out there, and that's not really good to see. Uh, you hope that that the revolution are able to uh, look past this season uh, when they don't make the playoffs, they go have a, an off season, obviously reload the lot roster a little bit uh, because the, the window is really right now, you know, in my opinion, 2023 is um, a good opportunity for them to make that one final push with this roster. Um, especially because Bruce arena is getting up there in age. You wonder how much longer he wants to be a head coach in this league. I completely agree with you. And I think that to be honest, one of the most disappointing parts of the season is they had a healthy Carlos heel for pretty much the entire year, which is not something that you're ever guaranteed as we've seen over the past few years. Um, and you know, he's going to be 30 next year. So uh, the window is now and the window might close after next year for some of the reasons you stated. So yeah, that, I think that's the frustrating part about this year is you have a healthy Carlos heel for the entire season. You expect the revolution, you know, kind of regardless of, of what else happens with other players to, you know, be more of a, a team to push for the playoffs and be a threat in the playoffs. And I think they were, um, but kind of, kind of on that note, my, my takeaway is that, 
uh, maybe a bit of a hot take, but I think it's time that the revolution move on from Gustavo Bo. Um, and it's, you know, typical thing to say because he's been a very good player for the revolution, extremely talented, but, you know, he just wasn't available enough this year. This is, his, you know, he's 32 years old this season. He's going to be 33 before next season. Um, and, you know, one of the difficult parts about him is it seems like when he gets an injury, it takes him a very, very long time to get back into form. Um, I mean, right now he's gone six games scoreless since coming from his July injury. And it's not just the injury either. I think if, when he comes back from preseason, it takes him a very, very long time to find his sharpness. I believe he started the year with seven games before he scored his first goal. Um, so, you know, we had a very good stretch in between that where he had seven goals and you know, tied for the Revs lead and, and, and goals this season. It was very good last year. But um, I, my issue with the revolution and kind of relying on Gustavo Bo going forward, in addition to the fact that he's 33 years old, uh, we still don't really know what his best position is. I, I personally think it's as a second striker. I think he worked extremely well off Adam Buxa. Um, the two of them worked very well together. Uh, but I think the revolution now are kind of building a roster that doesn't lend itself towards playing two strikers. We saw him play on the wing in this game. He did, you know, okay. But I think as a 33-year-old with very limited pace, um, that the Revolution are going to be missing something if, if that's his role going forward. Um, you know, we, we talked when he first came here and for a few, I think for a few seasons, that he's kind of a luxury player um, in the sense that he doesn't really have a position, but he, you know, adds a lot with his talent. I just don't think the Revolution can afford that anymore. I think going into the next year that the revolution needs to kind of rely on one striker up top, play a kind of a more balanced formation, um, you know, four, five, one, four, two, three, one, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think with Barrero and Ismael, Trajori, Shrouty and, you know, Noel Buck now that they have some options on the wings. Um, and if you try to force Gustavo Bo into the lineup, I think you unbalance that or force yourself into a formation that doesn't work as well. You know, we saw the diamond last year worked okay. It was at the expense of Tejan Buchanan playing out of position and maybe not getting the most out of him, but he was so talented it still you know, worked out. And then this year we saw the four the, the four four two diamond a couple games early on and uh, you know tried to force it, kept going forward with that was an outdoor run. It just didn't really work out this year. Um, and I think you know with the focus on Barrero, with Ismael Trajori, Shroudy coming in, the Revolution need to kind of play a four two three one next season. And I think they're better off doing so without Bo. I, I don't know how that happens, how they were able to move on from Bo, but maybe you know he has an opportunity to, to play elsewhere or wants to play elsewhere. Um, and if that happens, I think the revolution should take it um, and kind of build around Brioni and build around Gustavo Bo as a number 10 and, and use that DP slot elsewhere because they're just not getting enough out of Gustavo Bo uh, in his 32-year-old season. And I don't expect them to get enough out of him in his 33-year-old season to kind of justify the DP tag uh, and justify kind of rearranging their whole formation around him anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, he, Gustavo Bo is someone, like you said, that I, I've looked at as a luxury player because he handcuffs the way the revolution can play. There's only a certain amount of places that you can play him. And I'm even thinking of the all-star game he was in and he played out in the wing and he gets the ball at one point and you can just see that he's not really a fast player. You know, he's not able to take guys on. He's more someone that uses his, his movement, his good shooting ability, um, his smarts to try to create opportunities for himself. Uh, so, you know, that's in 2020 when I'm looking at that. In 2021, he does very well working with Adam Buxa. And then this year going into it, I was worried, especially when he was, you know, holding up that number nine position. But then when he came back from injury and he started starting, he had that really great run, right? Um, he had that great run where he kept scoring goals or having assists. I think he had somewhere uh, like seven goals during that, that time period. 
And it kind of shut me up, to be honest with you, because I was like, okay, maybe this guy can play as a number nine. He's not traditional. He doesn't really hold up the ball as well as an Anabuksa. He definitely really can't score headers. Although during that stretch, he scored his second ever header for the Revolution. So I was like, maybe this guy can work. And then he gets injured again in that Philly game. And then when he comes back, he just doesn't look sharp. And, and I think that's especially true when you see how many times he's offside, um, his shooting ability. Um, his shooting ability, in my opinion, was was really poor. Last night, it was better. He had a really good shot at one point, um, and that was like him you know, drifting as opposed to playing that number nine. But I really got worried about him once again when he got back from this injury because they needed him to be sharp. You know, the revolution needed guys to, to pick up the team and carry them. And uh, recently, I asked Bruce Arena about the season. He said, you know, they wouldn't be where they were if it wasn't for Petrovic and it wasn't for Carlos Heel. In the last two games, we saw that Carlos Hill misses his shots. So if he's going to miss his shots, somebody else has to step up, and Bo wasn't doing that. So if you're going to be a DP you know, striker for this team, uh, you need to make sure that you're stepping up and you're, you're fighting the back of the net. In the middle of the season, Bo was doing that. Uh, towards the end, he didn't, and that's a big reason why the Revolution didn't make the playoffs. Obviously not putting it solely on him. But in the MLS, those big players have to make big moments and score big goals. And he wasn't doing that. And that's someone that um, has been with the team for a long time, unlike Veroni. He's someone that knows the players on the team, unlike Veroni. So I would expect a little bit more uh, to end the season. Uh, I think to your point about where does he go, I think Argentina is a possible um, location. You know, we, we know that he still wears uh, Rossing uh, gear, that he still very much supports that team. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity to to loan him, to sell him, to mutually agree to part ways. Um, I think the one issue is that Bo, um, first of all, Arena brought him in, so there's obviously a connection there. And also, Bo has a house here. You know, if you want, uh, if you go to the Boston Globe, there's an article about him, and uh, the RevolutionSoccer.net did a video feature that shows that he he has a home, he has a family, he seems to be enjoying the area. So, is he going to be willing to? To step aside, um, it kind of depends on what that conversation is like with with uh, Bruce Arena, who's also the sporting director, and Gustavo Bo. Yeah, I think that is that is the key question. Um, but like you said, there's been with racing in particular, there's been you know a lot of discussion over the years about him possibly going back there. Um, to be clear, if if you if they were to move on from him, this wouldn't be you know one of their sales over the past couple of years where they've made a lot of money getting rid of a player. This would be you know more of a hey, this guy's 33 and maybe doesn't fit in our plans next year. We're not we're not trying to make a profit at this point. Um, so yeah, I mean I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens with him in the off season. It just seems like. Um, kind of in particularly with the moves that the revolution made over the summer window, um, that they're not focused on playing a four four two diamond anymore, and I don't think you can, you know, play two strikers up top without playing a four four two diamond or without playing Carles Heel as a winger, and that, in my opinion, would be a mistake. I know I, we had probably a year, two years ago now, Jake, Jake Katniss was on the podcast and, you know, really said that we needed Carlos Hill to play in the center. And at that time I wasn't as convinced, but I've become very much convinced that his best position is in the center and the revolution lose something when they kind of force him out wide instead of letting him play in the center. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a very interesting one to watch over the off season because, it, you know, if you do move on from him, you're opening up another DSP spot. And I think you're opening up a, the ability to kind of use that in a different position rather than striker. Um, and maybe solidify the midfield. Uh, I don't think I'd see the revolution using it as, as a defender, but I think you could really solidify the midfield either with an, you know another winger or with a uh, a guy to play centrally next to Polster. 
Yeah, that, that's what I would do. I mean, if Ferroni is someone that you truly believe in, you know, he, he obviously had a, a good season in Europe. Um, you get him healthy during the preseason. He's ready to go next season. He could play your number nine. And then you need uh, a defensive midfielder alongside uh, Polster. I mean, we saw so many guys go in and out of there, right? McNamara, Maciel, Captoon. I mean, that's that's a problem when you're constantly changing that defensive midfielder. Or like you said, if you want to go a little bit more attacking, and I think that Bruce Arena really does like to use, you know, um, DP slots on attackers, then maybe you get a, another outside midfielder to be play opposite of uh, Dylan Barrero or, or um, ITS uh, if he's healthy next year. And, and I did really want to quickly jump into the lineup before we go into listener questions. Um, obviously, no Dewan Jones on this one. He was injured. So, uh, so John Bell started at left back. Um, what have you thought of kind of John Bell's performances at left back in the, the couple of games he's played there and, you know, him, him getting the nod over Spalding? Yeah, I, I think he's been fine. Um, I think that, you know, I, I talked to him after uh, a recent game and he said that it felt like a trip down memory lane because uh, he is a former left back. Uh, I know Charlie Davies on the broadcast was talking about the, how he's a center back uh, playing out wide. And obviously um, him playing in college and then playing multiple years, including revs too, as a center back. He himself would now admit that he's more of a center back, but he is a left-footed player who has um, done things on the left side of the field. I think he's good on restarts. Um, you know, Bruce Arena said that, that he is a, a weapon, whether it's a header or his movement to try to score a goal, which he did uh, against NYCFC. Uh, so I think that's a positive. I think you're missing some, some crossing ability from him. I think that um, when he was out there against NYCFC, there was a moment where it seemed clear that the, who, the player that was defending him didn't remember that he's left-footed because he uses a little bit of pace to get um, to push the ball by him and, and offer a left-footed cross. Uh, so, so I think that that's something. But I think for him to play multiple games there, I think teams will understand who he is a little bit more. Um, you know, he has good jumping ability, but the playing out wide is going to be different from the, the middle uh, I think it says a lot about, like you said, Spalding, that Spalding is not getting the, the, the time there. Um, he, in fact, Spalding was actually playing some outside mid for Revs too. So it seems like Spalding's pretty far down the depth chart. Um, I think it's good for John Bell for him going into next season because there was questions about him because McCoon um, came in, whether or not John Bell was going to continue with his team. But I think you, you see his versatility. Um, to me, he's, he's going to continue to be a depth player whether he's a center back or, or left back, he's someone that that's there to play a few games a year, be a positive presence in the locker room um, and, and hopefully do well when he makes those starts. And uh, McCoon got the start at DM next to Matt Polster. Um, you know, when he came into this team, Bruce Arena kept calling him, you know, left-footed center back, left-footed center back. He never referred to him as a, a potentially defensive midfielder. Um, he hadn't really played defensive midfield in MLS. He had earlier in his career, but I, I didn't expect to see him playing as much DM as he had for the revolution. What, what did you think of his performance? Um, and are, are, were you a bit surprised that we've kind of seen him as much as we had, especially with, you know, Maciel and, and Captum available? Yeah, I think it says uh, a lot about the other options, um, Maciel and, and Captoon, that this individual comes in, doesn't really know the team very well. And in my opinion, really hadn't been performing that well as a defensive midfielder. Um, you know, there, there are times where he looks a little bit lost in that space where he's, you know, maybe pushing forward when he needs to be dropping back. I thought he was, his positioning was a little bit better last night. It seemed like he was trying to play about, you know, 10, 15 yards in front of the back line. Like he was, he was trying to be more that anchor um, and, and support that back line. But I still thought that the, his ability to, to win the ball wasn't great. His ability to, to distribute the ball wasn't great. 
Um, I don't think that him playing there is 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 the best choice right now. Maybe again, maybe next year. He's a young player. Maybe Bruce Arena does see that he he can play that position. He gets a full preseason and he's ready to go. He's not the most expensive player. I think he's around two hundred thousand. You can correct me if I'm wrong there. So you know he's he, he's on an okay amount of money, but it's not an absurd amount of money. Um, so maybe he's just a, a depth young piece that you you keep around to try to get some minutes, uh, similar to John Bell. But yeah, I mean, I was I was a little surprised that he's being used as often. I thought it was going to be more um, depth along the back line, especially with the Revolution going to Canada soon, and that meant that Henry Kessler was not going to be able to play. Um, you know, Macoon being signed right before that, I'm like, okay, this makes sense. You get him in a few weeks, you get him an opportunity there. He competes with John Bell for a spot for next year. And then here he is playing more uh, of that um, of that center mid position. I, I don't think he looked great there. Um, he's young, so maybe there there is some opportunities there, but I'm, I'm not really uh, super optimistic about his future there. Yeah, I, I don't think I have much to add because I completely agree with everything you just said. Just to add one, the one stat I wanted to throw out there though is that he in, in duels in this game, which I think is a somewhat important stat for a defensive midfielder in particular. He was one for seven, including zero for four on aerial duels. So that that to me is not. Uh, not a great sign from a defensive midfielder. I, I haven't been particularly impressed with him. I agree with you that he looked better in this game um, than he did in some of the other games for the Revolution where he's played there. But I, I still don't I don't like it. And maybe in offseason he'll be able to figure it out. But uh, with the season on the line, I was kind of surprised to see him out there. And I think you're absolutely right that it says a lot about um, kind of the confidence in, in Martial and, and Captoom that, you know, is McCoon kind of playing in a position that he's played before, but not not his primary position um with it with the situation so that was you know i don't know <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens next year but for for now that was that was surprising to me and it didn't look that great um one guy we didn't see was noel buck who has been playing i, I thought pretty well lately for the revolution um and been kind of a spark um when he gets out on the pitch uh didn't even make the bench for this game and and i think jeff lemieux uh implied he was a healthy scratch so were, were you surprised that we didn't see noel buck even on the bench yeah you know we I think it goes to the idea, and you mentioned this oftentimes, that Bruce often relies on veterans. And uh, one of the bright spots this year has been, you know, Ishmir getting minutes and, and Noah Buck getting minutes. And then when we get to this final, uh, not final game, but the third to last game of the season, um, neither of those players are, are even available. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, what, what going forward these players can offer because Rivero got a chance at one point uh, Justin Rennicks did get the start last night. He's a, a Revolution Academy product. Um, but going into this next season, you know, again, I think Bruce Arena is, is getting close to retirement. Uh, I always think about that article by Kevin Baxter um, after the Revolution won the Supporters' Shield last year. And Kevin Baxter basically implied that maybe Bruce Arena would walk away if the Revolution won MLS Cup, even though he had one more year left in his contract. So if there were rumors at that point that, Bruce Arena could be walking away. We got to imagine that he's he's close to making that decision. Uh, I think that he probably wants one more go at it uh, next year. And if that's the case, is is he going to be relying on young players? Obviously, those guys will be necessary to to get minutes here or there. Um, you know, Noah Buck, in my opinion, is someone that should be in a game day roster going forward and, and seeing some time off the bench. Uh, but Ideally, you want those guys getting a lot of minutes so they can develop and they can really get to their, their full potential. I mean, part of the reason why Diego Fagundes was able to, to get to the heights that he got was because he was trusted. He was given like starts, um, you know, playing 10 minutes here and there and, and going between Revs 2 and the first team. That's a really difficult ask for, for individuals. 
Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, next year. Um, obviously, again, we keep, I keep saying it, the idea of preseason is going to be important. How do they look? Uh, but Bruce Arena, like you often mentioned, often relies on, on veteran players. So is he going to be willing to give those young guys uh, significant minutes next year? And the, the last lineup decision I wanted to ask you about is we saw Justin Rennick's up top. I mentioned Bo played on the wing in this one. Um, Bo had been kind of playing as a lone striker the past several games since he got healthy. Were you surprised with the change to have Rennick's up top? And, and what did you think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, he was just a, a ball of energy. And in the pregame show, um, Bruce Arena told uh, Dan Rochi that the, that the Revolution were going to press from the beginning. And you saw that, right? Like from the very beginning, it was clear that they're going to commit numbers forward. And there was a couple opportunities that they did very well with. It almost reminded me of, uh, you know, a Brad Friedel team because everyone was kind of going very much full pace uh, going forward. And that's what that's what Justin Reddick offers, right? That he's someone that, you know, presses the back line, that tries to get in on the channels. I actually thought um, his holdup play was, was decent. And I think that that's one thing that Gustavo Bo uh, lacks as a number nine, especially if he doesn't have other players to play off of, is that he doesn't really like hold the ball up and get other people involved. It would trust Justin Rennick's doing that. It allowed, you know, heel, it allowed Bo to kind of run in, run in behind or to, to get near Justin Rennick's for him to lay the ball off and to combine with. So I actually thought he did all right, especially in the first 45 minutes. Um, that said, I just, he, to me, he's he's not a, a consistent goal scoring threat, you know. And, and so with Justin Rennick's out there, you know that he's going to bring a ton of energy. You know he's going to work hard, but is he going to be able to find the back of the net? And and he almost you know shut everyone up after the first forty uh, in the set in the second half when he had that that goal that was called back because of offside. He was very clearly offside. But I remember uh, actually talking to my wife, being like, "Okay, well there it is. I mean, there's Justin Rennick's, you know, shutting everyone up." And then, of course, he was called offside and it didn't happen. Uh, you know, he's someone that, again, you know what you're going to get out of. But uh, you needed you needed someone like Veroni to be healthy, to be ready to go, to have some chemistry with the team. Um, that's going to give you much more confidence than, than Justin Rennick. So kudos to Rennick because I thought he actually had a, a good 40, first 45 minutes. Um, but in a must-win game, I just don't know if, if he's the guy you'd want to start. Yeah, my, my observations from this game were the same as yours. His hold-up play, like you said, stood up to me a little bit more this game than I've seen in the past. And I think his physicality, um, you know, the hustle is always there, but I think his physicality and ability to kind of hold up the ball under pressure was better in this game um, than we've seen previously. Everything else was still there that we've seen from him. But, you know, what's missing is kind of the, the final third when he, you know, the, the end product in the final third, whether it's the, the shot, like you mentioned, or even the pass. Um, you know, there were one or two times we got the ball on the wing and, um, you know, didn't have that many options to be, to be fair to pass it to, but um, kind of forced it across to nobody. Um, and, you know, th- I think that's what you're lacking with Renix. And, you know, it, I, I'm fine with him as a depth piece on the Revs, especially as a homegrown guy that doesn't count against a salary cap. And I think, you know, if the Revolution are going to keep him around as that and he's willing to stay around as that, that that makes sense. Um, but, you know, for a playoff team, you, you need a stronger number nine that's going to be putting the ball in the back of the net. And I, I don't see... Renix as that player, and I don't really see him developing into that player at this point, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I, I, I would say, you know, you summed up his performance last night very well. 
Um, we got a lot of listener questions, so I am going to jump into that. Before we do, I want to take a quick minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Glocko Kits. Glocko Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GlockoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code RevsRecap. That's RevsRecap at checkout for 15% off your order at Glocko Kits. And if you're very frustrated with the Revolution season and are looking for another team to jump on the bandwagon for, uh, I recommend their mystery kit option. Um, where you can, you know, for a good, very cheap price, sign up for a mystery kit. I think it's twenty nine ninety five, and use your fifteen percent off code um, and get a mystery kit. And maybe you can support that team if you're looking for a team. Um, so that's GlockoKits.com and use code RevsRecap at checkout. Seth, you ready for some questions? Let's do it. Well, the first one is from Derek Terrell. I did want to knock this one out. He he wants to know if the Revs are not mathematically limited. What is the exact scenario that has to happen for them to make the playoffs? Well. A lot has to happen for them to make the playoffs. First of all, the only team they can still catch in a playoff position is Columbus. Uh, Columbus is three points ahead of them. Columbus has two games in hand on the Revs. We should note we are recording this before Columbus's games today. So if Columbus wins today, uh, the Revs are still technically not mathematically eliminated, but have a very impossible task at hand. Uh, But essentially, Columbus would need to get no more than three points in their final four games. The Revolution would need to win out in their last two games. If they won out in the last two games, the Revolution would be at 44 points. Um, If Columbus get three points, they would be at 44 points. The Revolution would then need to overcome goal differential, which might be possible. Uh, They'd be tied on wins, which is the first tiebreaker, and they'd need to overcome goal differential. Actually, no, I take that back. The Revolution would win the tiebreaker on wins if the Revolution got six points and Columbus had three. Uh, But then on top of that, you'd need Atlanta, Miami, and Charlotte to all drop lots of points along the way. Um, I'm not going to go into all those scenarios, but it's uh, 538 gives the Revolution less than 1% chance of making the playoffs. Um, Seth, am I missing anything here? Or is essentially you need Columbus to to lose out, or at most win one game, and then you need Atlanta, Miami, and Charlotte to all uh, you know, essentially come close to losing out? <laughs> no, you nailed it. I think that that uh, you covered it very well. Yeah, so uh, it, it's not going to happen. It's basically it's basically the, the end. Then the Revolution have got some luck uh, in staying in this with some results, but this is too much. Um, Derek also mentions that Gil and Bo looked very upset and disgruntled during the game. We talked about that a bit, um, and that he hopes they stick around despite having a tough season. Um, would, do you think that accurately kind of describes what we saw from them? They looked upset and disgruntled. Yeah, they looked, uh, totally. And I think that a lot of people in the locker room probably felt that way. I mean, for, for you to have 73 points last year and win a supporter shield and then fail to make the playoffs, um, you're going to be upset and disgruntled i mean anyone who's ever played the game um or coached the game have has felt this way you know um so it's understandable in my opinion that they they do feel that way in terms of sticking around we we mentioned uh bo so i'm not going to get into that Uh, i think carlos heel is an interesting one um i think one thing about carlos heel though is that he likes this league he likes this area he's uh learned english and i think that that means that he is really trying to uh, adapt and and be part of the the, the culture of the United States. Um, he just had a newborn kid. So to me, I, I think it's likely that, that Carlos Hill is sticking around. Obviously, he has a contract status. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Carlos Hill spends the rest of his career in Major League Soccer. Um, but obviously, too, if, if the Revolution aren't willing to invest, then there's going to be more and more frustration from a guy like Carlos Hill because um, he's someone that a lot of teams around the world will surely be interested in. Yeah, I think I think you answered that one very well, and I think Carlos Hill is you know one of the guys in this team that the Revolution absolutely cannot afford to lose if they're going to kind of keep this window open um, for even another year. 
Georgie Petrick fan page wants to know our thoughts on how Bo, uh, Heal, Rioni, and Renex played. We talked a bit about Renex um, and how early the subs, how much earlier the subs should have been brought on. What, what were your thoughts on on Bo, Heal, and Rioni's performances? Yeah, so I tweeted this out. This was the first time this season that we saw Heal, Bo, Veroni, and Barrero on the field at the same time. Uh, pretty remarkable, uh, remarkable to think about. Although obviously two were were more midseason signings, um, but injuries obviously have marred the, their seasons. Uh, you know, I, it was hard for me to to take much away um, right now because it was such chaos. Like I said, it, it felt like everyone was just trying to do it by themselves. There wasn't the the free flowing passing that we've seen when the Revolution are at their best. There wasn't, um, you know, some of the crossing and some of the the, the finishing. Um, when the revolution at its best, uh, you know, I, I think you saw that Barrero is a, a ball of energy that he is an attacking weapon. Uh, but as Bruce Arena said, it, it just doesn't seem like he's quite ready yet. You know, that he missed a lot of time. His sharpness isn't totally there. Um, and I think you saw that last night. Veroni, same thing. I think that, um, you know, Veroni played 10 minutes, I believe when he first came back off the bench. And after the game, I asked Bruce Arena about it. And he said, he just doesn't look like he's ready. And he actually said, I think it might've been a mistake to put him out there. Um, you know, that's a position that needs chemistry. And, and I think you saw that last night, Matt Doyle tweeted out a clip that shows that uh, the number nine doesn't make a run into the box after the ball goes out wide. Instead, he's trying to ask for it more at the top of the box. Um, and he, I think for, for me, he's supposed to be that number nine in the box, that tall individual in the box that's doing what Adam Buxa did last year. So I think it was clear that, that he doesn't really have the chemistry. And I think there was a couple of times last night where he's he's asking for the ball or he's maybe a little bit even frustrated at himself because he's not making the right runs. Um, so the chemistry just wasn't quite there. Carlos Hill is Carlos Hill. Um, you know, it, it's hard to criticize Carlos Hill, um, but I will say the last two games, he had opportunities that he should have put in the back of the net. Um, you know, if the Revolution scored that one in the, you know, the first 20 minutes of the game – where Carlos Hill has an opportunity. I believe it was Gustavo Bo who played him in. Um, if he scores that one, then obviously the game might be a little bit different because, uh, you know, they're, they're up a goal and we're probably sitting there waiting for uh, the comeback to happen against Montreal. And all of a sudden we're, we're dropping, uh, the Revolution are dropping uh, 32 points uh, as opposed to, you know, just, just being flat out beat 1-0. So I, I think that, it's difficult because you need the attacking players to get chemistry. And Sean, to your credit, that's like your, your argument this entire year that yeah, the revolution have some decent players, but they have to get on the field and they have to build chemistry and you have to build momentum. And uh, you know, it's just too little too late for the revolution at the end of the year. Yeah. I, I think, you know, <laughs> out of this game, when you look at everyone on the field, the only player that really leaves with which much positive credit from this one for me is Petrovic. Um, but, you know, talking about the, the players mentioned here, Carles Heel, you know, you mentioned the missed miss sitter and he had had one the week before the game before, too. It, it's not he's not a great finisher. I mean, he puts away some great shots sometimes. But as far as efficiency in the finishes, um, three of his four seasons here, he's had more expected goals than actual goals, which to me says that, you know, he's. That's not his game as being a, you know, an elite finisher. Uh, his game is being an elite passer, an elite chance creator. Um, but with all the guys that have been out with Gustavo Bo not being sharp, the Revolution have needed him to be more of an efficient finisher because they don't have that margin for error. And, you know, that's uh, – he's again, he's not here for his finishing, but the Revolution have needed him to finish better the past two games, and that's been costly for the Revs. And overall, I didn't think it was a great performance from him. He had 69.2% passing accuracy. I mean, it wasn't a great passing night for the Revs 
generally, but I, I, I think he averages over 80% passing accuracy. So for him to do that at home, um, not a great performance. Three key passes, which is, you know, okay. But for him, we usually expect a lot more. Um, but, you know, again, when he doesn't have that many options to pass to, you mentioned forwards not making great runs. That's part of the problem. You know, Rioni, I still don't know what to make of him because he hasn't looked sharp in any of his appearances. And it's understandable given the injuries. Um, you know, again, the revolution needed more out of him given the situation they were in and, and injuries kind of stopped that. Um, you know, he came in with a great track record and I expect him to be good for the revolution when healthy. But um, again, not a great sign for a 23-year-old to have had this many injuries early on in his tenure with the Revs. And, you know, I, I believe it's not uh, two years ago, he missed an entire season with an injury. So, um, you know, the injury track record is a little bit worrying there. Um, yeah. So and, and Gustavo Bo, we talked about him earlier. I thought he was OK on the wing. Um, but also 65% passing accuracy while playing as a winger is, is just not good enough. Uh, so, so none of those guys really played well enough in this game in a, in a must-win game. Um, and then what are your thoughts on the, the substitutions? I, I personally thought that you know, Boateng should have come on a lot earlier. This was a must-win game for the Revolution. I know Rioni and, and Barrero weren't ready to go more than they did and maybe weren't ready to go what they did go. Uh, but, you know, to me, I thought they came out a little bit stale in the second half and really could have used an injection uh, of offense from Boateng coming on. I think they had 0.1 expected goals um, between halftime and when Rioni and Barrero came on. Yeah, I think that you're right that uh, Boateng is someone that should have been brought on earlier. He's always doing stuff in the final third. I think that his his defending is a difficult thing. Um, but for the Revolution who need a goal, get get him on out there. Um, help help him out by getting someone that will will cover space for him uh, because he's someone that's whether it's going, scoring a goal or offering crosses, he's someone that's always creating something for this team. Yeah, and I don't know that just in a game like this, I think we've seen throughout the season that Bruce has maybe been a little bit too too so to make subs. And was the eighty second minute when we saw Boateng and, and Captoon came on, even if you weren't going to bring Boateng on before, you know, Rioni and and Barrero. Um, what was the set? Was it the seventy third minute that that Toronto? I mean, sorry, that Montreal scored their scored their goal. Um, it seemed like it took a while to make those subs on, and I, I would have brought him on even before that, right? Yeah, in my opinion, I know that he's just coming back from injury and he didn't look like the sharpest thing, but like you you have like a Dylan Barrero. I, I would have probably just played him 45 minutes and said, let's go and, and try to get after it. Um, maybe not 45 minutes because um, like you said, the, the, the first half was okay and they created some opportunities, but they just came out so slow in the, the second half. They just needed a spark. And with the game on the line, um, why not bring on a Boateng and or Barrero earlier to try to get them after, uh, try to get something happening there. Um, like you said, it was the 72nd minute that the, the uh, Montreal scored. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that we saw Captoon eventually come in. I know he's a little bit more of a, a dynamic passer, a little bit more of a, a player that plays forward. Uh, but like him coming on the 82nd minute was an interesting move, in my opinion, replacing Macoon, who didn't have a great game, fair enough. But you leave a guy like Nacho Heel on the bench who's a little bit more of an attacking presence, and, and he's done a little bit more. Um, I think for, for Bruce Arena, oftentimes when you get to the end of the game, it's kind of all about vibes. So that positions don't really matter as much. Uh, you know, we've seen Boateng play left back, and when he plays left back, he's all over the field. So, you know, it was interesting to leave Nacho Heel on the bench when he was brought in um, to, as a midseason signing. Yeah, I don't. I mean, in my view, I think you would have made some sense to take McCoon out when you took McNamara out and put McNamara back in McCoon's spot because I, you know, he hasn't been amazing back there, but I thought he's played pretty well 
um, kind of next to Polster and has a better understanding between the two of them. Um, I mean, he's probably tired from all the minutes he's had to play this season. Maybe that weighed into it, but that that would have been something I would have I would have thought you would consider doing. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Steve McGrogan wants to know why can't we find more workhorses like uh, Parley's Hill, Tommy McNamara, and Farrell that can produce? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what you know Bruce Arena wants to bring in. Uh, I remember when McNamara was brought in, he was looking for guys that were just a little bit sharper, a little bit more. Uh, steady, good on the ball, who's going to work hard all the time. Um, and maybe that's what he was trying to do by bringing in, you know, ITS, who, who does not appear to be go, uh, able to play this season, um, as well as Matt Kuhn. Like, try to bring in some of those guys to see if they can fit the culture uh, within the revolution. I think the other thing is that um, hard work happens when, when everyone's playing together and you're getting results. And if you're constantly not getting results, then it becomes hard to, to push yourself a little bit more, even if you're a professional player. I don't think there was a lack of, of effort last night. I think there was moments where guys uh, had a hard time, especially as the game went on. But I think that there were you know, guys that were willing to press and willing to, to do the work. Um, the ball just didn't really fall that way. And then as it's, that's happening, it becomes hard to, to push that extra little bit because uh, you've seen it all before. We've seen this play before, right? The Revolution going down a goal or even when they're up a goal, losing points. Uh, so it becomes really hard. I thought it was interesting, uh, Bruce Arena last night, you know, talking about there were very good efforts. Uh, he named Andrew Farrell, Georgie Petrovic, um, Carlos Hill, Henry Kessler, and Matt Polster. Uh, so it was interesting to hear that run of players uh, be brought up last night because, you know, someone kind of talked to – someone asked Bruce Arena about the effort that was uh, coming out of the revolution in recent games, and he highlighted those players in particular. Yeah, and, and we've gotten into the, the section now of uh, some more negative questions, which I guess is not surprising giving away the season ended. Um, Tim from Twitter says, this is a soft team. Things don't go their way. They fold up and show up. Their teammates, zero positivity. Absolutely soft as puppy poo. Any, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, again, 29 dropped uh, points from winning positions. I mean, that's, that's uh, as Brad Friedel would say, that's a mentality thing. So whether the fans need to go outside the players' cards, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> or, or, or there needs to be some sort of discussion in the locker room. Um, you know, something needs to change there. Um, you know, Carlos Hill is the captain. So, so you know, he's got a whole players accountable. Andrew Farrell is a locker room guy. And we, we saw him, you know, have that word with Wilford Captoon um, on the field. Uh, there just needs to be a, probably a little bit more accountability from from individuals. I, I also will say, like, it, the Revolution dealt with a lot this year. You know, um, they lost they lost uh, Buchanan before the season. They lost Buxa. They lost Matt Turner, and they dealt with so many injuries. Um, you know, Bo was constantly injured. Veroni came in and he got injured. Um, and then you also dealt with a situation where Henry Kessler couldn't go to two really important games in Canada. And then when you have a must-win game against the Red Bulls, uh, Carlos Hill welcomes the, his, his new son, Marco, to the world and is unable to play. And then this past game, we saw that, uh, that Dewan Jones, who's probably like the, the third or fourth best attacker on this Revolution team, the amount of you know, key passes that he has, he's not able to play. So I'm sure Bruce Arena is sitting there just thinking like, man, like this, this season couldn't have gone worse. And he mentioned um, a play that really always sticks out to me. That early season Red Bulls game where it's 0-0 and Andrew Farrell goes to clear the ball. It goes off Matt Polster and it ends up in the back of the net. And Bruce Arena mentioned that last night. How often do you see a play like that? 
You know, like that just that's just really bad luck. That that a clearance at the end of the game ends up in the back of the net. The snow game. You know, that's just ridiculous circumstances um, where they're up two goals and they end up losing um, against was it Houston? Yeah, Houston. When you have those those uh, penalty kicks go against the Revolution, uh, the first one in particular, I think that that's it's tough. Um, is it a penalty? Yeah, I mean it goes off his hand. Um, but Andrew Farrell sliding down and, and the ball hitting him—that's a tough moment to give up. Last night when you saw the the ball, um, you know, go off, go near or go off of the the Montreal player, and then it comes back the other way and it scores. I mean, that's just a again another just hard moment. And I think last year the Revolution had so many breaks go their way, like they kept winning all these games by one goal. And when that happens, you have this like sense of belief. You have this sense of like, let's do this. We're all in this together. You know, let's not forget after the revolution, you know, clinched the supporter shield, there's that really famous quote from, from Teal Bumber, like, these are the guys, like, these are the guys, like, we did it, like, these guys. There was just a belief there that they could do it. And, and you know, Bruce Arena said it last night, they played over their heads last night, uh, last year. This year they didn't. And they and they not only regressed to, like, the, the mean, but they had so many things not go their way that it became tough to have that that mentality. So that that's not an excuse um, you know, this team needs to be better at, at closing out games. They have to have a better mentality. But, like, I think the reality here is that this season was always going to be tough. And, and I've never – I haven't asked Bruce Arena. I don't think anyone's asked Bruce Arena about this. I think he kind of knew because going into the season, he signs that contract extension very kind of quietly. Um, it's like a – it's in the press release, but it's not even the headline of the press release that he has this contract extension because I think he looked at this year and just knew that um, – if they didn't do something really positive in CCL, then the rest of the season was going to be a grind. Like hopefully you're still sneaking into the playoffs, but they knew it was going to be a difficult season. So uh, that's, I, I don't want you to think like I'm, I'm giving these guys a pass. Like they have to be better. If you, if you're up on all these games, you have to see some of them out. Um, but I think it was just a, a really tough season and it was a season that just nothing really went their way. Yeah, and I, I agree with you, and I think it's somewhat, in some sense, kind of a law of averages thing where they everything did go right for them last year, and in some senses they did get a little bit lucky um, to finish with seventy three points, and, and this year it was kind of the opposite. And you know, maybe what this team really is is, is kind of somewhere in the middle of that. Um, but you know, you mentioned all of the the things that went wrong and all of the um, legitimate excuses, but what, what I will say is that you know a lot of this is on kind of the off-season signings too, where if Josie Altidore had, you know, produced something and lived up to the bill, um, he could have been that bridge player when Buxa was gone and, and Rioni um, was getting up to speed or fitness wasn't there uh, rather than Justin Rennicks. And, you know, that in theory should have gotten the revs a couple more points. Um, if Omar Gonzalez had played better at the start of the season, um, you know, the revolution would have gotten some more points and probably would have, you know, made it out of uh, that Puma series in the, in the CCL and, and gone a bit further. Um, you know, if, if Sebastian Legett had stuck around, um, I think, you know, he would have been, provided the other creative force. You, know, you mentioned Dewan Jones maybe being the third best attacking player on the Revs at times this season. Uh, Legett is certainly a capable attacking player. And if he had stuck around and Bruce had found a way to integrate him more, um, you know, they might have been able to get over some of these injuries and humps a bit better. Um, so, yeah, everything went wrong. But Bruce's signings just kind of exacerbated the problem by, you know, not contributing in a way when the revolution needed them. And, and you mentioned you think he knew it was going to be a tough season. I think, you know, I think I think it was obvious, obviously going to be a tough season. But, um, you know, that's why they needed those guys to kind of step up and, and fill in 
you know, compacted schedule with the early World Cup, um, CONCACAF Champions League. They really needed to be able to rotate more this season than they were able to. And uh, the pieces weren't there for them to do that. And then the revolution fell so far behind in the standings that at the end of the season where last year they were able to rotate and keep guys healthy. This year, guys were hurt and they weren't able to rotate at all. And they didn't have the depth to do so. And they didn't have kind of the cushion in the standings to do so. So you're, you're right. Everything went wrong. Um, but there's plenty of blame to go around. Yeah, and I want to hit upon that about um, the roster. I think the roster wasn't really constructed in the best way. Um, you know, you, you you had guys that had been around for a while on pretty big contracts. Um, you know, they bring in Omar Gonzalez, who did not do well. In my opinion, uh, you don't really need Omar and A.J. De La Garza. Uh, in my opinion, they basically fit fill the same role as veteran guys who can kind of slot in. Obviously, A.J. De La Garza has a little bit more versatility, can play anywhere on the back line, although – It'd be pretty – I don't think he's really much of a center back at this point. Uh, but but both of those individuals, in my opinion, are more locker room guys, veteran guys that kind of provide advice and maybe get you some starts every now and then. Um, so to have two of those didn't really make much sense to me, especially when Omar Gonzalez uh, didn't do well in his early season performances. So, yeah, that that's a situation where I'm like, do you really need both of them? You look at Edward Kizza coming back and then eventually being loaned out twice, um, you know, why are you bringing back Edward Kizza and, and not using him? Because the revolution needed more forward depth, right? Like the revolution needed, you know, someone else to be there. Josie Altador comes in. He doesn't really do well in his moments. Um, he, you know, constantly you hear these lines about him getting fit. And then there was that moment in, in New York where um, he is yelling at the coaching staff and eventually he goes off on loan. So that's a bad uh, signing right there. You have big contracts to to Wilfred Captoon, to Arnold Tristison. Um, you know, going into the season, we really didn't expect them to contribute very much. Um, you know, they do play some minutes, but eventually Arnold is gone, and and Captoon probably isn't sticking around. Um, McCoon comes in, but he's you know too little, too late. He really doesn't look that sharp. We're not really sure what his ideal position is. ITS comes in, but he is injured and doesn't look like he's going to play very much uh, going forward. Um, it just there just wasn't this roster really wasn't well put together. Um, and, and I think you mentioned it multiple times that, you know, you, you start off the year in a four, four, two, and then you eventually switch to the four, two, three, one to provide more uh, stability, stability in the middle of the field, but the revolution don't have many natural wingers. And that's what leads to a Tommy McNamara playing a lot of minutes out there or Sebastian Legette playing a lot of minutes out there when he doesn't want to play there. Like Sebastian Legette came here and he told the media that he was expecting to play more central. And if you're telling the media that, then obviously there was some sort of conversation that happened with, with him and Bruce Arena. Um, so he eventually leaves midseason. So when you're changing the roster that much in the middle of the year, it's, it's kind of admitting that, uh, that this roster wasn't put together that well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I totally think that there's blame to go around. And I think that Bruce Arena, um, you know, he, he said it a couple of times now that, like, he has to look at himself a little bit um, in terms of, like, how this team is playing and how this, the results that they have failed to have gotten. Um, but I think that that's a situation where Bruce Arena, the, the sporting director, uh, really didn't do any favors for Bruce Arena, the head coach. That said, I think one thing to keep in mind is that the summer transfer window – allowed Bruce Arena to offload some of those individuals. Um, I still don't really get why Sebastian Legette moves and the Revolution are still paying for some of his salary. I think that was 
kind of a favor to, to Sebastian Legette, especially with the World Cup coming up. Maybe there was an opportunity for Sebastian Legette to, to make a late push for the World Cup. Uh, maybe it's an opportunity for him just to get closer to the West Coast, and that's what he's looking to do. Uh, but I think that that's strange. That said, I think that it's good that that contract is off the books. If it's not going to be a long-term individual for this team, you're not going into this season thinking about, okay, um, you know, where is he going to go? How do I have to play him? He's just now off the books. On our Tristan, same thing. You, you move him on. He's happier. He has his, uh, a newborn kid. He's over in that area. Um, you're not worried about his contract status going into next year. Um, so I, I think that Bruce Arena, uh, Josie Altador is going to be a question mark because you know you you still have his contract, but he has scored a couple goals in, in Liga MX. So maybe that's enough to to move him on in some way, or maybe you can you can buy him out. Uh, Omar Gonzalez is still there, but again, he's another potential to maybe you buy out, maybe you mutually agree, uh, agree to part ways. Uh, maybe he becomes you know, a member of the coaching staff. I don't, I don't know what you can do there. Uh, but I think you're looking at you know, Bruce Arena trying to, to open up space, open up opportunities within this roster so that he can go into the offseason and, and hopefully make some big signings and, and make a, a good opportunity next year. You know, sorry, one thing I'll say here is you know, after last year, a lot of people, I wrote that oral history about 2014. The big problem with 2014 was that the 2015 was was a dud, and they really didn't do much in the transfer window. And the Revolution did do things in the transfer window this year, but they just, they just weren't good enough, and they just weren't the long-term solutions. And you wish that he would have been um, a little bit more ambitious, maybe, or a little bit more, um, he would have made better decisions in that transfer window. Yeah, you said it very well. And I think the, the big thing with the transfer winner, too, is they weren't you know long-term solutions, but a lot of them were signed to long-term contracts. So it will be very interesting to see what they do in the offseason as far as their ability to move on from Altador, Gonzalez, and um, whoever else they, they need to move on from because they moved on from Legette in the window, like you said, uh, Tristesen as well. But um, it's going to be a very interesting offseason. Uh, speaking of blame, Mike Kennedy wants to know how much of blame for the season falls on the leaders in this locker room, and should Carles Heel continue to captain the team in 2023? I mean, it's hard for me to know. Um, you know, obviously, I go into the locker room sometimes, but a lot of those conversations are happening behind closed doors. I, I think that Carlos Heel is very well respected. I think that you know he's obviously the, the best uh, player for the Revolution, and, and many people. You know, I've tabbed him already as the greatest revolution player in the club's history. Uh, I, I think that he's your, your captain still, that he, he leads by example, um, that I think that some of the passionate outcries that he's had, you know, during games um, are a little concerning at times. But I think that that's just him showing passion, him kind of trying to say, hey, uh, we need to win. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'll be honest, like, it's hard for me to answer that question because I don't know how players are taking those things like our players saying like look if he's getting upset we need to get upset too and we need to like be using positive energy or our players looking at that saying like oh like you know if he's upset then then like things aren't going well and they're putting their heads down or they're getting frustrated or they feel like they're not living up to carlos's standard i don't truly know how they're feeling um i will say that carlos heel generally speaking works very hard on defense and that's you know great for for someone who's a, a marquee player so he leads by example in that way of always trying to put in a lot of effort. Um, so yeah, it's hard for me to know for sure. I, I would find it, I would be very surprised if you take the captain's armband off of him, um, given how good he's been for the revolution. 
Yeah, he's the Revs' best player, and the Revs are only going to go as far as he can take them. And I think he needs to stay the captain. Um, and I think you know you got to do whatever you can to, to keep him happy. Um, but what I will say is I do understand why you'd ask this question. I think the the body language at times this year, the excuses after games. I you know thinking of that Salt Lake game in particular, where you know the Revs are up two nothing and and were playing with their their backups, a rotated squad, and then blew the game after they brought their starters on. Um, and you know he blamed it on the snow, and so they shouldn't have played that game. Um, you know, it's it, it, there's been a lot of excuses from him this season, and there has been, oh, you know, more moments this year where things haven't gone well, and he's looked extremely frustrated on the pitch, and you know, the body language hasn't been great. So I completely get why you'd ask this question, but I think, uh, I think big picture is Carles Hill um, is the Revs' most important player. They need to keep him happy, and you know, if if anything happens with Carles Hill on this team, it turns into a complete rebuild if he's gone. So you know, you need to keep him happy. You need to keep him the captain, and I think you know there's going to be some talks in the off season perhaps about. Um, you know, attitude going forward and kind of not not letting things get to him as much as maybe they did this season. But it's been a very frustrating year. Davis Abillion, uh, also on the, the blame note, says people always want to blame Arena for everything. Did he miss the sitters? Did he injure the players? Arena can only play the players that are healthy. As GM, I think he failed. But what was he supposed to do with forwards all injured at the same time? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we were talking about earlier, that, you know, you you hope to have better depth in that position. Um, you know, going in with Gustavo Bo, he's someone that doesn't stay healthy, you know, like he's going to have injuries. And as a result, you have to try to think about uh, who else is going to come in. Um, you knew Buxa was going to leave. I mean, uh, he almost left before the beginning of the season. There was an offer that Bruce Arena said came in and, and they came very close to possibly doing it right before the, the end. And um, Buxa has been very clear that he eventually wanted to move on. And so when that opportunity came with, with Lens, it was going to happen. Um, so in my opinion, there, there just wasn't enough forwards. Even if you factor in Josie Altador, now you have two forwards and behind them was Edward Kizza and Justin Rennix. So I would have liked to have seen, um, you know, Bruce Arena bring in more forward depth there, um, to, to solidify that position. Same thing with, you know, the center back position that, yeah, you bring in Omar Gonzalez, but, uh, you know, like you, Sean, you did a really good job mentioning this, that Omar Gonzalez isn't going to be a frantic defender that the revolution needs an emergency defender that the revolution needs because um, there's playing style for the revolution uh, going into the season was to play a little bit higher up to, to commit a lot of players forward, including their outside backs. And for them to do that, you need emergency defenders that when the ball goes over the top, you can get there and win the ball and, you know, put it in the right positions. And Omar Gonzalez, especially at this point in his career is, is slower. And John, that you mentioned that a lot. Um, you needed more depth. If you bring in Omar Gonzalez um, to, to be a veteran presence because you know he's a good guy, he's a locker room guy, you know he's going to, to play some minutes, I honestly viewed him going into the season, the Michael Mancian role, where the revolution are up and you need a center back who kind of sits and just like heads the ball away time after time, plays a three-man back um, for the last 10 minutes. That's honestly what I thought we were going to get out of Omar Gonzalez. But again – if you already have AJ Delagarza playing a similar role, then you can't tie up a roster spot as well as money on, on a guy like Omar Gonzalez to basically play that same type of role to play that limited minutes role. So the revolution needed to bring in another center back, have depth there. Um, so yeah, I, I agree that like, I think that arena, the coach had a hard time this season because so many things didn't go their way. I mean, uh, we're, 12 penalty kicks against the revolution. That's, that's just such an absurd number, you know? 
and and for them to deal with injuries, for them to deal with a player who couldn't go to Canada, for them to deal with like the birth of a, a child to the MVP. I mean, there's a lot that went against this Revolution team this year. But um, from the GM aspect of it, he he should have been better. Yeah, it's it, and it's hard to separate the two because it's the same person. But I, I get it. The the coach Bruce, the coach, did have limited options this year because Bruce, the T, the GM, in some ways set him up for failure. Um, but. You know, the striker situation in particular, they, you know, Teal Bunbury was a guy that was generally healthy. You could have kept him around and had a striker option up top um, instead of having Josie Altidore, who, you know, in theory is going to get you more goals than Teal Bunbury, but in practice um, seems to be well past his prime and the ability for him to still do that, I'm not sure is there at this age. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree that Bruce, the coach, had limited options, but, um, you know, when you say people want to blame Arena for everything, well, he is, he is the GM too, so... I think you can't separate them as two different people because it's the same person. Um, Sean, Sean, I got to ask you a question. You mentioned Teal Bunbury. Um, so I, I, two questions I'm going to ask you. One, would you have kept Teal Bunbury on the team? And also, would if you were Bruce Arena, would you have re-signed uh, Diego Fagundes, given him a little bit extra money that he wanted? Um, would this team have been better this year if those individuals were available? Uh, I think in hindsight, yes. I think I would have, I mean, not, not in hindsight, I would have, either way, I would have brought back Till Bunbury. I think he was a good locker room guy. He was a guy that you could play in a lot of different positions. Um, you, t- you kind of talk about Justin Rennick's hustle. You know, Bunbury is a hustle guy, but also has a bit better end product um, than Justin Rennick. So if you had had him out there for those minutes for Justin Rennick's and, you know, probably even more minutes, I think he would have been in a, in a better situation. Um, Diego Fagunas is a bit more of a, a difficult one because I don't think there was a role for him in the formation that Bruce was envisioning playing, um, which is, you know, was the formation that they finished last year in that four, four, two diamond. I think, you know, he wouldn't have been happy and you wouldn't have had a role for him. Um, in hindsight, when everything kind of fell apart and the, and the revolution needed wingers, yes, of course. Um, you know, Diego Fagundes would have been helpful for the team, but I think that one's an easier one to, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and say that was a big mistake letting him go. Um, but, you know, he hadn't been performing particularly well for arena and he didn't really have a role. Um, and, you know, if Bruce Arena, I thought he was going to stick with the four four two diamond. There, there really wasn't a role for him, right? Yeah, I think you hit it. I think that now you look back and say you should have kept those guys. But I think in both situations, um, we know Diego Fagunas wanted to play. He's doing awesome in Austin. Uh, he he likely wasn't going to get the minutes that he wanted with the Revolution, um, bar like all the injuries that we saw. And Teal Bumber um, was an interesting one. It wouldn't surprise me if if Teal also wanted more minutes and wanted to have a new location. Um, and that kind of went into that because otherwise um, I, I definitely would have kept Teal Bunbury around. But again, h- how many minutes is he getting um, over the course of the season, especially with Josie Altador coming in? Um, but yeah, in, in retrospect, both of those players would be good right now. Uh, Teal Bunbury probably would have been the one to, to stick around um, of the two. Yeah, and uh, name on Twitter also th- said he wished that we'd kept Teal. Um, also wish we had kept Scott Caldwell. Says he feels like we're over relying on DP. What do you think about Caldwell? Is that a name that the Revolution should have kept? Yeah, I mean, in the sense that he wasn't getting much money, um, but again, I, I I feel like there might have been some players that wanted a, a new opportunity to see what was going to happen. Um, you know, Bruce Arena was hot and cold on Scott Caldwell. Like there was times that he'd play him and then take him out pretty pretty soon into the game. And there was times where he'd, he'd give them um, a more extended look. Um, so I think that, that for some of those individuals, it's sometimes okay to move on. And it's good for the player because they get a new coach, a new atmosphere. Um, you know, I thought that Scott Caldwell played 
more minutes for Real Salt Lake than I was expecting. Like, I wasn't really sure what Scott Caldwell's role was going to be going forward. And I'm not sure if I envisioned Diego Fagundes, you know, putting away as many, you know, goals and assists as he has done with Austin. You know, I I like Diego Fagundes, but I wasn't really sure because he wasn't getting the run out with Bruce Arena. So I think, again, in in retrospect, yeah, like you, you keep some of those guys around because, um, they could offer things, but at the time, Bruce Arena had, you know, got a lot of minutes out of them and hadn't really seen it. Kellen Rowe is a similar thing, right? Like Kellen Rowe came back to the Revolution to play under Bruce Arena, someone that he knew a little bit from the national team. I believe they, that Gold Cup that he played, uh, Bruce Arena was the head coach at that time. Um, but you know, he, Bruce Arena was like, "No, it's not really working out." And then he goes over and and helps um, Seattle win the support uh, the the Concacaf Champions League, be the first MLS Cup. Uh, sorry, MLS team to win the CONCACAF Champions League. So I think that sometimes players just need to to move on. And again, if you look at this Revolution roster, maybe not the best constructed roster, but if everyone's healthy, then the depth is different. Like Tommy McNamara, in my opinion, is someone that's more coming off the bench or or he's you know giving you um, minutes every now and then, similar to a Scott Caldwell type of role where you know he was the closer. He came in late at games. I think that's more of a Tommy McNamara role, and, and Bruce really trusts him and likes him and likes what he does um, on, on both sides of the ball. But now Tommy McNamara is being asked to not only play a lot of games, start a lot of games this year, but he's also asking like to score goals and have assists. And that's why at times I've kind of said that you know he's, he's been underrated by Revs fans because he's done a lot for this team. Um, even the beyond what he should be doing, you know, like he really shouldn't be out there all the time, in my opinion, but he is, he's working hard and he, he did some things in the back of the net. So I think that, um, some players just need to be moved on, need to have a new location and a fresh start, a new set of eyes, a new coaching staff. Um, so yeah, I mean, and sure. I take Scott Caldwell right now, but, uh, I'm not sure if that would make much of a difference. I think there were a lot of games this year where I thought the Revs missed Scott Caldwell. Now, I don't think Bruce Arena trusted him as much last season for whatever reason. Um, he trusted him enough two seasons ago to start him in the playoffs. Um, but then last year, it seemed like he kind of fell out of favor. Um, but with that said, you know, you mentioned maybe he wanted to leave for more minutes. I don't, I don't know what the situation was. I don't know if he wanted to come back or what. Um, he certainly didn't get a pay upgrade in Salt Lake, which surprised me. I thought he might make a little bit more money there, but he certainly didn't. Um, at least according to the MLS Players Union data. But, you know, he was a guy that, as a homegrown player that wasn't counting against the salary cap, um, probably would have been your second best defensive midfielder on the roster this season. Um, so I think he could have gotten, there were a lot of times the Revolution could have used him this season, including last night. Um, so that was a big miss to me for the Revolution. But again, how realistic it was to resign him with how little Bruce Arena was playing, I, I don't know. Um, but, you know, of all the guys that left, that's one that when you talk about depth, that's not costing you any money. Um, certainly unfortunate to lose him. Just to, just to uh, brought up his stats, he had less than 200 minutes. He had 198 minutes last year. So I, I got to imagine that um, there was a sign there that Bruce Arena was like, well, you're really not my guy. And Scott Caldwell kind of thinking about um, what's his next step. Um, so, yeah, I think last night he definitely could have been used. But I, I don't know if Bruce Arena would have would have used him very much over the course of this year. Maybe because of the injuries, but didn't get yeah. used a lot last year. Um, and, and Broken Bill asks about Bruce tinkering too much with the starting lineup. He says he was largely consistent with uh, the goalkeeper once Petrovic arrived in the defense, but he consistently changed the other six players and wants to know why. He says Bruce should have a pecking order for starters and positions regardless of injuries. Yeah, I think he was just trying to figure things out. I think that there was, there was too many too many injuries. Um, 
that no one really like grabbed hold of opportunities when they were presented. So he was just trying to figure out game to game. What's the best strategy? What's the best way to play? I mean, again, last night, the revolution clearly went out from the start and really tried to press the other team. And that's not necessarily the revolution's um, playing style overall. Um, but they felt that that was the necessary thing to do. And I think generally speaking, Bruce Arena is someone who does like to play consistent starting lineups that if a team wins, then that's usually the starting lineup the following game. But with the Revolution not really winning many games, Bruce Arena and the coaching staff um, continue to try to tinker, continue to try to change things around as a way of trying to find the, the formula that worked. And I think that that hurts the chemistry. I think that it hurts um, – the playing style and, and that leads to some kind of frantic soccer like last night it just felt like especially as like the later part of the game it just felt frantic and it didn't really feel like they they had a, a a vision of how they wanted to play or who they were going to be it just felt like they they knew they needed to get a goal so they were trying to push to get a goal and um, that's a difficult mindset to have because um it opens you up for counters it, it leads to you know one-on-one -on -one de defending as opposed to team defending um yeah, so I think in a in a usual season, Bruce Arena is all about you know finding his guys, and I think that you mentioned it at the beginning of the year that that Bruce Arena stayed with that four four two probably longer than he should have. That it, it was clear that with the injuries that the Revs had sustained, that the four four two wasn't really going to work. Um, that they didn't have the personnel they had the previous year. So eventually, he switches. Uh, we saw them tinker with a five man back line sometimes. Um, the, he was kind of all over the place trying to figure out what works best because every single week he was dealing with new injuries or new issues or, or other things. And the revolution just really weren't finding consistent results. So he was trying to find game plans that could work. We got one more question about this season. And then we got, we got a few questions about next season and non-rev stuff. Uh, Till forever wants to know what is one highlight of this season uh, for you on field or off field? Yeah, it, it's Petrovich. I mean, that's, he, he was amazing. Um, you know, if you haven't checked it out, when he was signed, I did an article with uh, Ilya Stolicha, um, who's a former Revolution player who helped bring uh, Petrovic to the New England Revolution. And in that interview, he, he said that, like, he's a shot stopper. He's an amazing shot stopper. He still has a lot to learn. And that's going to take him a little bit of time to adjust to the United States and to Major League Soccer. That has not been the case. Like, I, I, am, I am ready to say – Cursed revs, you can certainly clip this if you want to. Like, I think that Petrovic is going to be better than, than Matt Turner. And I think that uh, this isn't really controversial because I think Greg also um, had similar takes. Um, he, he's going to get a, a big transfer fee at some point. Um, recently, I, I had two tweets I put out there recently. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago, I said, you know, Georgie Petrovic is really good. You guys should tweet the same thing so that when he becomes successful, you can say, look, guys, because I think everyone went back to try to find their earliest Matt Turner is good takes when Matt Turner went to Arsenal. So if you have not said something about, you know, uh, Georgie Petrovic is the truth, go ahead and do that so you can brag about it later on. And, and the other one I said is how long is he going to be here? Because I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's getting offers next year. You know, like uh, Selenina goes over to, to get a big um, – contract from Chelsea like it really wouldn't surprise me if, if people are looking at um, the revolution and saying like there's a goalkeeper especially because I think Kevin Hitchcock is someone that's highly respected he's been very very good uh, for the revolution probably one of the best signings that Brad Friedel ever made and he has connections over in England so I think that next year he's going to be getting offers 
my hope is that he stays for the entire season um, so that the revolution don't have to deal with, you know, a lot of turnover again. Um, but it, it, yeah, again, it wouldn't surprise me if by this, the summer transfer window, we know that he's getting offers. Yeah. I have trouble of thinking of, of any other highlights other than Petrovic. Um, it's crazy right now. Everyone's talking about Andre Blake, potentially being in the MVP conversation. Petrovic has, you know, over a shorter period, better numbers than him. I mean, part of that's because the Revolution defense has been so bad, but his goals, minus expected goals number is negative 10.78 right now, which is over a full uh, goal better than Andre Blake, which is just crazy to me. And the fact that the Revolution replaced the best shot stopper in the league with an even better shot stopper, in my opinion, I think I'm already ready to say is a better shot stopper. Um, and I agree with you that I think the potential, and um, I expect him to be a better goalkeeper than Matt Turner uh, long term, and I expect him to go for a, a big transfer fee. So I, I don't think those are hot takes because I because I completely agree with you. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely the highlight of the season for me, and um, you know one of the reasons to be hopeful for next year because I think he'll just get better, and I think you know his chemistry with the back line with the preseason is going to be, go up tremendously. Um, and, you know, you do wonder if the communication coming in midseason and, you know, English not being his first language with the back line might not have been as good as, as it was with Matt Turner, and it probably wasn't, but I expect by next season that that's going to improve tremendously. So, um, and Teal Forever also wants to know one thing you're excited for next year. I'm excited to see more of him. I'm also excited to see more of Noel Buck because from the flashes we've seen from him. Anything else you were excited for? I'm excited for the transfer window. I think that um, a lot of what happens next year depends on the transfer window. So that's always a fun time anyway, because we're all, you know, trying to see what sources come out, scrolling Twitter, you know, listening to club music uh, highlight reels on on uh, YouTube, uh, giving our hot takes. Um, I, I think Bruce Arena needs to, to make moves soon into the transfer window. Um, you know, he brought in some OK players. I think D- Dylan Barrero could be good. We saw some flashes out of him. Uh, Petrovic obviously was very good. Veroni, maybe he is, but they, they were kind of brought in too late. You know, if we knew Buchanan was going to be gone, there should have been an, a clear signing. And obviously you could argue that uh, Sebastian Legette was that that signing and they were going to play that diamond formation. Um, and I think that we all kind of said that going into it. But again, there wasn't the depth. Um, and and for, for Arena saying, like, that's what we've been missing when they signed Dylan Barrero, in my opinion, just would have been nicer to get him in there sooner. And that's kind of why I was happy that Veroni was brought in, even though this season wasn't great. Uh, Buxa wasn't great in his first season, and he had to learn how to play, how to make certain runs. And I think the difference is that Veroni is a natural number nine, and, and Buxa, um, you know, played some in the wing, played sometimes as a 10, he said, over in, over in Poland. Uh, I think it's good that Veroni got his feet wet a little bit in MLS and is hopefully going to be legit next year. Uh, but yeah, but this, the summer transfer window is what I'm looking for. You gotta, you gotta get that right going into next year. Yeah. I mean, if they don't get that right they're they're in big trouble. Um, we did get a few questions about kind of who needs to leave this team um, in the off season or, or who absolutely needs to stay. Randy LH says, leaving aside contracts and reality, um, we will leave that aside now because that's a very long conversation that we're going to have in the offseason, um, and we're, we're short on time here. Who are your must-keep players for next season? Uh, he also wants to know who's hitting the chopping block and who do you still have hope for, but we have a couple more questions about that. So for now, who, who are your must-keep players for next season? Uh, Georgie, and like I said, I, I really would try as hard as I can to keep him the entire season. Um, it'd be you know, it'd be a quick turnaround for him to already be sold, but he's been that good that it wouldn't surprise me if there's big offers um, coming coming next 
next uh, summer transfer window. So you need to keep him the entire season if you want to try to make that push during this window. Um, in the back line, yeah, Dewan Jones and, and Bai, keep those guys. Andrew Farrell and Kessler, keep those guys. I'm not sure if that's a starting uh, center back pairing, but I, I think you keep both um, and you bring in another guy who's going to be competition and, and really try to see it out to see who who's the best uh, defender uh, because, um, I, you know, I'm very high on Henry Kessler, but I thought at the end of the season here, he's he struggled. Um, and that's not, that's not good to see. Andrew Farrell, uh, you know, I, I like Andrew Farrell. I think that he's a good locker room guy. He's someone who's always willing to step in front of the mic. Um, but, you know, he's getting a little bit older, and, and maybe there's a better um, someone else to step into that position. But I would still keep Andrew Farrell because you need depth. You need guys that are going to step in and, and uh, be a part of the club. Um, he's also someone who's getting his coaching license, so I think it's great to have someone like that still around with the organization. Uh, let's see who else is is there. Barrero's obviously. Hill's going to be there. Veroni's going to be there. Um, Tommy McNamara, I think you keep him. Like I said, ideally he's more a start spot starter. Uh, start spot starter. That's, that's how you say it. Spot starter. Um, and and you know he's also maybe getting some minutes um, as a closer type of player. Um, there's probably other ones I'm missing that when you say, I'm going to say, yeah, you definitely need to keep that person. But those are some that come to my mind right away. No, I think you hit the nail on the head that those are the guys that should be here next year. But it's, if I'm being honest and I want to narrow my list down as small as possible to the guys the Revolution absolutely need to have next year, it's just three people. Petrovic, Carles Heel, and Dewan Jones. I think anyone else on this team you know, isn't impossible to replace. Those are the three guys that are impossible to replace. But um, if I'm being a little bit more generous, I agree with your list completely that, you know, those are the guys that should be back next year and who the revolution, you know, need to keep, whether it's in the starting lineup or on the bench. Um, We have a a few negative comments about the center backs. Uh, Gamble every day wants to know the quickest possible way to get Andrew Farrell to St. Louis and Kessler out of my sight. Uh, Emily says she loves Farrell, but he's not been making good decisions on the field. Um, and he also needs to do better with scouting with the exception as, Perovic, as Petrovic, uh, and also Carly's heel has not been clean, has not been as clean and has acted, not as acted as a, how is it, sorry, Carly's heel has not been as clean and has not acted how a captain should act. We talked a bit about that. Um, on that note, who are the guys that the revolution should look to move on to? I think we both mentioned Josie and Omar already. Um, is there anyone else that the revolution should be looking to offload in this off season? I just want to add one more. Uh, Matt Polster should stick around. Yes. Um, that, that's someone that needs to stick around. Uh, yeah, in terms of um, – I have the roster in front of me now. Altador, yeah, hopefully you're able to move on from him. Um, Bo, we, we talked about Bo earlier. Like, I I would personally probably move on from him unless you can buy down his contract or maybe, um, you know, he's willing to be more of a guy off the bench. I highly doubt that's what he wants to do. I, I just think he handcuffs you a little bit more about how you can play because – you're either playing him out wide where he's really not that pacey or you're playing him in a second forward in a 4-4-2 or, yeah, it just makes it tough. Uh, AJ Delagarza, I imagine, is getting close to retirement. He's another guy who's getting his coaching licenses. Um, I think that Earl Edwards Jr. had his moment and he's a good individual, but maybe it's time to move on from him. Uh, Nacho here, I'm not sure what his status is. He's, he's obviously going to be here just through the end of the year. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't mind him coming back. I thought he had a couple of good moments and just as a depth piece, depending on his contract, how much money he's making. Um, I think it's time for Captoon to leave. I think that he's he's had moments, but overall, he's just he, he he's not physical enough. He's um, not doing enough on the defensive side of the ball. Kizza needs to go at this point. Um, you know, he's had two loan deals. Hopefully he, he links up with someone. Uh, Brad Knight, and I imagine it's probably about time for him to retire. 
Um, Massiel, I'm not really sure. Um, McCoon, I imagine he stays one more year. Um, you know, they, they brought him in and, and he's, he's a big body. He's young. He's an international player. Uh, Justin Renex could go either way. Uh, Ravino, I, I don't think he should have a senior contract next year if he wasn't. I mean, he's a supplemental player, so it'd be okay to keep him. Um, yeah, so th- those are just kind of me quickly running through and seeing what I see. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big ones are the ones with the salaries and international spots that um, I think they need to move on from. You know, Josie Omar, they got to move on from. Um, Brad Knighton has been a great player for the club over the years, been good veteran depth, but he's not even making the bench for the Revs anymore. And as your third or fourth string keeper taking a senior roster spot, um, you know, I, I think it's time to move on from him. Um, especially the you know the fact that they traded for a goalkeeper we didn't even mention that season for for Diop so um, you know I, so I think they move on from him Captoom you mentioned his contract and the international spot you got to move on Maciel I think I think you probably give him another season um, yeah so I think I think those are kind of the guys that come to mind Nacho Hill again taking up an international spot so I, I think that's a questionable one Kiza obviously you move on from. I'm okay with Renick sticking around as a supplemental guy. That's not, you know, not counting against the salary cap. Um, but really, you, you got to clear up some senior roster spots. You got to clear up some international spots. I would hope that Carles Heel is close to getting his green card. Um, he's been here about as long as some other players have been when they got there. So maybe that's a, some welcome news in the offseason that opens up an international spot. Um, but, I, you know, just quickly looking at the big the big salaries and the senior roster spots, those are kind of the guys that I'm, I'm thinking you move on from. Yeah, and one thing I'll just add on there is, is I'm not – when I name some of those individuals, I'm not saying they're they're horrible players. And I, I'm more also just thinking about, like, is it is it time for them to have, like, a new place to go? So Justin Rennix, it, it just might be time to to move on and go somewhere else. If he comes back, no problem. He works hard. He He's someone who's a local product, absolutely. But maybe someone else wants him, and that's where he kind of gets minutes and establishes himself. Same thing with, like, an Edward Kizza. You know, Brad Knighton, like you say, he's not even making the bench at this point. You know, if he wants to continue to play and go somewhere, then maybe he could be a backup somewhere in the league. So I, I don't want to – I want to be clear that I'm not trying to say those are all horrible players. I'm more saying, like, it's not really – doesn't really seem to be working out too well here. So it might be time to move on and try to bring in some, some fresh bodies and some, some fresh players who can get a fresh opportunity. And DC says, I think the Revs – I think we have seen the Revs need the offseason badly. I'd agree with that. Uh, Too many games in the last two and a half months with little player turnover. Guys starting a ridiculous amount of minutes over the stretch. Uh, In in his view, the offseason's biggest question is the bench. He says you need a a forward sub, you need a new center back, you need an eight, and you need a right back. Uh, Does that that list sound right to you? Is there anything you'd add? Yeah, uh, that that sounds about right. Um, Center back is important, too. I think there's some depth that we need to build up there. Um, you know, there's questions at left back, whether, it, you know, Spalding's going to be that backup or whether it's going to be John Bell. Um, I, I think you might just look into that a little bit more just because there were rumor about Dewan Jones going to Europe. So you want someone who can, you know, maybe step in um, and definitely be a weekend and week out starter. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, basically everywhere in the field, you're constantly looking for depth because I think there may be some winger depth, too, with, you know, Ishmael Tajori Shradi coming back. There's going to be questions about how much he can play. Um, so, yeah, yep, you definitely want depth all around the field while also thinking about guys like Ishmir and, and Noel Buck. Like, what can they offer next year? Yeah, I think I think that the winger is the one spot that I'd add to the list, like you said, is, that, you know, you don't know with 
uh, ITS's health, and Barrero hasn't stayed healthy either. So uh, those are your two starting wingers on paper, I think, in theory. And then you know Boateng after them, who you know Bruce doesn't really trust to start. So that's that's a position I'd add depth as well. Um, David Sibillian wants to know what your expectations are for 2023, at least a playoff game, uh, right? Is, is his question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 2023, I, I, you have to go for it. I, I, and honestly, and I, I mentioned this a few times in various places. I think that obviously uh, 2021 was a missed opportunity. Like that was your opportunity to host MLS Cup, hosting MLS Cup. I mean, that's a great opportunity to win it because you're playing in front of, you may be possibly sell out that entire stadium you know like that's a great opportunity to kind of show that we're the a, a new team that we have this brand new crest we have this brand new training facility we have three dps like we're not the revolution that you once thought we were and then to come out in 2022 they basically proved that they were the revolution that they've always been you know like it, they they didn't make the correct signings they didn't um they didn't do well in the season and, and they missed the playoffs so I'm personally someone who was a fan of the new crest. I think the new crest looks better, but it has to come along with something. Like we, we are still looking at the revolution playing in Gillette stadium. So it didn't come with a new stadium. So what it should have came with is a new mentality of like, we're this new England revolution and that didn't happen. So like right now I'm looking at this and saying like this, this, you know, launch fell uh, flat. Like for you to miss the playoffs in the following year, it really was the wrong time to, to be, out there with a new crust because it really didn't prove that you had a new mentality. So in 2023, you have to win it. Like you have to go for it because um, 2022 was a disaster. I think if the revolution did better in CCL and, and maybe even won CCL, then fine, they missed the playoffs. That, that's, that is what it is. And you're still looking at, it, at yourself as a club who who's on the rise, who's kind of shed some of those like loser uh, tags that they had, the Buffalo Bills of MLS type of thing. Uh, but for them to crash out of CCL and to not do well in the regular season, I mean, I'm not convinced that a brand new logo has changed much about the revolution at this point. Um, and that's why they have to do well next year. Uh, I think that Bruce Arena has been great for the revolution. I think the training facility is good. I think that they, they're a team that sh- – is different than the way they have to be, but they have to prove it on the field. In 2022, they didn't prove it. So 2023, they have to prove it. They have to do a deep run in the playoffs uh, because the window's closing. 100% agree. They spent the money to bring Bruce Arena in. They spent money on three designated players. They have Carlos Heel, who is going to be 30 next year and you know still in his prime, but how much longer is that going to be for Bruce Arena? We don't know how long he's around. Next year is... I think minimum expectation is they make the playoffs, but really I think the expectation, like you said, is they win something, you know, make a deep run and win something. Um, Bruce isn't here to, to not bring home any silverware. So uh, especially with the disappointment of this season, the expectations need to be even higher for next year that they turn things around and win something. No excuses next year. Um, you know, they, they know what they need to be prepared for. They know who's gone. Um, it's, it's gotta be kind of MLS cup or bust. And I think if, I think next year is a very good chance that next year is, is Bruce's last year, probably by his choice. Um, but yeah, next, next year it's win it all or, or bust. And uh, on that note, Og wants to know what is the hot seat like for Bruce next year, a bad month or bad first half, or what, what does a hot seat look like for Bruce? I, I can't imagine, uh, Bruce Arena being fired and I can't imagine Bruce Arena stepping down in the middle of the season. Uh, I think that he has all of next year to, to do his thing. Um, I hope for, for his sake, um, he's obviously given resources and I think we've seen that the crafts are willing to give him resources at the revolution, you know, brought in some, some decent 
really paid players. They have three DPs now. Um, and I hope for his sake as well that the scouting department and him, obviously he's a sporting director, get the signings right um, and bring them in early enough and get them adjusted that everyone stays healthy uh, because, um, yeah, like the, he, he needs a good season. And I don't – and I think fans need a good season. And in my opinion, um, Bruce Arena is not going to be leaving during the season. So if the Revolution don't do well, it's going to be a really hard season again for Revolution fans. Yeah, I, I think I think I agree with you. I mean, I, I say there's a you know, it's not a zero percent chance that Bruce decides to retire this offseason. At his age, it could always happen. But I, assuming he doesn't, I think he's here through through next season, barring something you know shocking like an eight game losing streak or something. And I, I, I don't expect that. Um, we got a couple of questions on the TV deal. I know you had tweeted a couple things about it, um, and I think Sam had as well about you know, the message from from Brad Feldman and Charlie Davies afterwards. Uh, Blake Henderson wants to know: Are they no longer on commentary next season? Yeah, I think it's a wait and see. I mean, it you you're seeing a lot of places, um, people commentators tweeting like, "Hey, this is our last time in this booth doing it this way." Um, so kind of doing a little bit of a, a goodbye type of post. Uh, Richard Fleming, I believe his name from the Colorado Rapids, did something very similar all year long. He'd been posting uh, videos, kind of remembering his best moments with the Rapids. It's a little bit of a wait and see uh, in terms of of how this is going to work. My understanding, and, and definitely correct me, Sean, because I, I definitely miss things now. My understanding is that there's going to be more like these these broadcast teams, um, similar to like how the NFL does it. And those guys are going to be used much more often to call these games. Um, we've heard rumblings that local commentators will still be used in like radio format, and there might even be an option to to listen to them as like an SAP. But it seems like the, the way it's being called is going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, I think last night, you, you heard Brad Fallon get kind of emotional and talk about how, you know, it's nice to work with Charlie, but also the whole broadcasting team, because what we're going to see going forward seems to be different than the way it has been done for many years. Um, but in there, you heard, you know, Brad Fallon say that Charlie Davies would be sticking around. So I imagine that Charlie Davies, I mean, he's, he's, you know, called national team games. He's, um, you know, become a voice for, for MLS soccer and national soccer. So I think that he'll be around. And then Brad Feldman himself said, you know, we'll see. Like, I could be in the mix as well. So I think you'll still hear those voices in some way. But the broadcast and and how we're accustomed to seeing things are going to be a little bit different. Yeah, I think I think you hit everything correctly. And, you know, we don't we don't know what's going to happen with Brad and, and Charlie Davies. The interesting thing is that, you know, they, they said they'll make radio commentary available on the broadcast. But. Um, I, I don't think we've heard for certain whether the revolution will do radio broadcasts next year because there's a lot of savings involved with the way the revs are doing it this year. Um, if you remember way, way back towards the beginning of the revs, they actually did have two separate broadcast crews, one for the radio and one for TV. Brad actually started on the radio. Um, and then eventually to save money, they, you know, I'm assuming it's to save money. I don't know why else you would do it. They, they decided to only have one broadcast team and they simulcast the, the TV. Um, so the TV broadcast, so whether or not they go back to, to doing a separate radio broadcast, I think is an open question because obviously, uh, the, the cost benefit analysis is very different when you're doing just a solo radio broadcast. I don't know what the revolution listenership on the radio is, but I, I don't imagine it's particularly high. Um, so that's, that's a, a good question of what happens with that. I, I do like that Apple TV is making that an option to listen to that, but, uh, it has to exist for, for that to be an option. So we don't know. Um, that'll be something to watch in the off season. 
Um, Miles Halpin wants to know, does this new broadcast deal sound any more appealing to you now than it did when it was first announced? And he also wants to know how soon till they have us on Apple TV for commentary, which is very flattering. Uh, I'm still waiting for my call. How about you, Seth? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the, the real big benefit in my mind is that it's all in one centralized location. Uh, I can, I'm someone who gets frustrated because I try to watch as much MLS as possible and you're, you're trying to decide, is it on Unimas, is it on ESPN Plus, is it on ESPN on the main channel? And it can be hard to like find some of those games sometimes. I think that the whip around show could be a lot of fun too, depending on who the commentators are. We saw um, uh, Football America, I believe the show is, that did something similar for the U.S. Open Cup this year. And it was a lot of fun. It was really engaging. Players coming in and uh, commentating. Guys, here's, here's really what, what I'm mostly concerned about. I'm concerned about um, coverage for this team and, and for, for other teams around the league. You know, um, there's always going to be coverage for, you know, the Seattle Sounders. There's going to be coverage for um, the New York teams, LA Galaxy, LAFC, all those big teams. But let's be honest, the Revolution don't get a lot of coverage. And uh, WBZ have done a really good job of, of offering uh, pregame shows, of offering um, exclusive interviews. Let's keep in mind that, um, Rochi was the first one to speak to Matt Turner as he was coming back from his injury. Like we, there wasn't access to, to get that information. Um, and they've done a lot to try to get good quotes and, and provide good coverage. And I, do, I don't know what the coverage looks like. Um, when, when you put it all behind a, a, a paywall, you know, when, when uh, it's all going through the league and, and Apple TV, um, like who's asking, who's asking questions and who's, you know, putting it out there for, for regular people to go see, because my parents, for example, or my brother, they'll watch revolution games. Sometimes they'll like, you know, sit there and, and go through the TV and they'll find a revolution game. And they'll say, I'll watch it, but they're not going to pay whatever amount it is to go to Apple TV to watch the new England revolution. So now all of a sudden you're, you're losing some of those fan bases um, and you're losing that, that broadcasting partner who has done a good job covering this team. So, you know, I, I say it over and over again. I'm sure all the listeners that are here, um, they're already doing it. But you got to support those local independent um, reporters. You know, like this podcast, um, you know, they offer something that nobody else is offering. You know, people, this is one of the best podcasts out there when it comes to the New England Revolution. And I feel fortunate when you guys invite me on here. Um, you know, they offer a service that is not widely available to other individuals. Um, you know, Tom Quinlan goes to all the press conferences and he does a radio show, you know, at the Ben Musket, Sam Minton goes to the press conferences. I try to go to the press conferences, you know, uh, Tanner Rebello, you know, there's others I'm surely missing, but those individuals, they're going to be the ones providing the coverage going forward. Um, unless there's another plan that's out there because, um, you know, the, the, the broadcasting WBZ, they're not going to be there anymore. And obviously you'll still have Frank Delapa and you'll hopefully have Rich Thompson who are running for the newspapers. But I think it's going to be tougher to, to get coverage going forward because um, you're losing WBZ. Honestly, you completely covered my, my thoughts on this one. I have the same situation with my family too. And I think about them and, you know, they don't watch every revs game, but because the games are on you know, TV 38, they'll turn on occasionally. When there's a big game, I'll tell them about it. They'll put it on. Um, my in-laws, you know, aren't big soccer fans, but 
they watch CBS News and they see, you know, on Channel 4, them talking about the revolution and they'll, they'll you know, say, hey, I heard that, you know, you signed Petrovic or, you know, this Rioni guy, what's the deal with him? And they'll ask those questions. And I, I, I think that's going to go away with the Apple TV deal. Um, so I think the Apple TV deal is good for the diehards for the reasons that, you know, you said you can find everything in one place, uh, which is really nice. I think, you know, the fact that every game is going to be in 1080 HD, although I would prefer them to be in 4K at this point. Um, I think that'd be great, but I think 1080 is going to be an upgrade over what we've seen for a lot of Revs broadcasts where the, the quality of the uh, of the, the video hasn't been as good as it should be. Uh, that's going to be great, but I think for the non-diehards, it's going to be a lot harder to follow the revolution. And, you know, I don't expect people that are turning on the occasional game on TV 38 to go pay for a proprietary service on Apple TV um, to, to watch the revolution. I don't think that's going to happen. So um, between the revolution still being stuck in Foxborough and moving to a proprietary service to watch their games... Um, I do think the coverage is going to go way down and they're, you know, I, I'm afraid that's going to make them, um, at least in, if, and until they find a way to, to move into Boston a little bit, even, even a little bit more irrelevant in kind of the Boston sports landscape. Yeah, it's a concern for sure. Uh, and we got a final couple of questions from your colleagues at the bet muskets and friends of the podcast. Um, as always, you should make sure to check out their writing on the bet musket as well as Seth's. Uh, Alex Dolan wants to know who are your three players in the league, not on the revs that you love watching. Um, his are Mukhtar, Lewis Morgan, and Johnny F and Russell. And he also wants to know your thoughts on the USA kits. Yeah. Uh, Mukhtar is, is one of mine as well. Um, I really enjoyed Brandon Vasquez right now. Just a, just a good forward. Um, his movement is fun to watch. He's a good example of, of what you want in that position. Uh, Andre Blake is, is always really fun. I know that there's a lot of competition between him and uh, Matt Turner. But whenever I watch Andre Blake, I'm just just so amazed about what he can do. Um, there's other ones as well, obviously, but those kind of stick out to me really quickly. Uh, the U.S. kits, here, here's one interest. I, I, I don't really like them very much. One thing I do think about is will we see the tie-dye blue kit eventually become like the equivalent of the uh, denim kit? You know, the denim kit was something that was just so out there and like, I don't know if, 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 if you like it, but now it's a cult favorite. I know uh, I have a bumpy pitch shirt um, of the, the denim kit. So if I'm, if I'm going to be optimistic, maybe that's my take, but I, I just, I couldn't believe it when I saw it, they were so uninspired and where's the red, white, and blue. And I mean, it's a world cup. They're back in the world cup. You want them to be beautiful kits and you want them to sell out. And I just, I just really wasn't inspired by them. Yeah, I'm I'm very disappointed by the U.S. kits, and I haven't bought a U.S. kit in a while, and I was looking forward to buying one for this World Cup, uh, but now I don't think I'm going to because I really find them uninspiring. Um, for the first question, I also have Mukhtar on my list. I think he's a fantastic player to watch. Nashville is not necessarily my favorite team to watch, but he makes them very watchable. Um, I'm going to maybe cliche, but I, I as a former as a Spurs fan, I like watching former Spurs player Garth Bale, even though he hasn't been that great this season. But he's one of those guys that when you see they're playing. Uh, you turn on the TV when you might not have otherwise. And then, you know, similar to your Brandon Vasquez, I'm someone that likes to watch guys that have potential to play on the U.S. national team. And Jesus Ferreira is a very young striker that could be starting in the World Cup. So um, he's another guy I like to watch. Um, so, that you know, he's he's been a really good guy to, to watch for me. Um, 
And Alex also wants to know my thoughts on if I enjoyed watching the Spurs put up six goals yesterday. And that was one of the most enjoyable match I've watched for the, for <laughs> for quite some time. So, yes, I did very much enjoy that. And I enjoyed Sun's hat trick, uh, as Alex pointed out. Uh, so a good day to be a Spurs fan. Uh, still unbeaten in the league. And Sam Menton asked a question that every time I get questions like this, I think they're meant for Greg. But I'm going to ask you if you have an opinion. He wants to know what's better, Waffle House, IHOP, or Denny's. Uh, personally, I haven't been to any of them in years. So I don't know if you have a, a preference there, Seth. <laughs> Uh, I'll say IHOP simply because I remember going there late at night one time because they were doing free pancakes. Me and a friend were like all day long. We're like, oh, we got to get to the free pancakes, free pancakes. So they do a free pancake day. Uh, so that was a, a delightful experience one time in my life. <laughs> well, Seth, any final thoughts and where can people follow you on social media and see your writing? No, I mean, uh, I think we're on hour three of the podcast. So congratulations to anyone who is listening into this entire thing. No, for real guys, uh, Thank, thank you guys for having me. And, and you're uh, the only sad thing about being on the podcast is that I don't get to listen to it afterwards. I don't really like to listen to myself, uh, but you guys do a great service. Uh, I'm a Patreon member. I hope other people uh, also uh, contribute to it because uh, you're, you guys covering the team is, is a huge asset and you guys, uh, your analysis is, is great. Uh, in terms of my work, uh, find me at uh, the Bent Musket. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Sethman31. I try to offer coverage there and follow everyone at the Ben Musket, um, you know, Dolan and, and Sam and Josh and uh, former uh, uh, manager uh, Steve Storr and Matt, and they're all great and, you know, continue to support those local writers. Yeah. And like you think, like you said, I think that's going to become even more important next year when stuff is on Apple TV and they don't have the, you know, the, the WBZ partnership. So please, please, please follow and support the Bent Musket and all the writers and photographers. They do great work over there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue. Of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Easy to find at Revolution Recap. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks after the Revs next game. I think we're going to all take a well-needed break (laughs) during this off week for the Revolution and not podcast again until the Revs next game.